Once again, thank you, Ryan, for stepping in. Short notice. I got the message this morning when I woke up, and Ryan got it last night, about the time that Josh got the news himself. So thank you, Ryan, for short notice, filling in. It's always a, a blessing uh, to have you lead us, brother. Last week, we dove into a, a topic, expositional preaching, expository preaching. We've not done anything like this in the six years that I've uh, been here, but I felt it was a good time to explain to you why we preach the way we preach, why we walk through books of the Bible pretty much verse by verse as best we can. And my hope is that as we uh, jumped off from 2 Timothy 4 last week, that, that was sort of where we began our discussion. I want to hopefully preach that text today in the way that we talked about it last week. So last week was, hey, here's what expository preaching is, expositional preaching. It takes the main point of the passage, makes it the main point of a sermon, and applies it to life today. That's the, the easiest way to understand it. So we did that last week, and now this week we're going to take that text, and I'm going to do my best to preach through it, and I want you to be able to make the connections. I want you to be able to see why we do this even more clearly and I hope it gives you some reason to be excited about preaching. I know some of you are excited. I don't give y'all credit enough because I often talk about, and I'm probably going to talk about it more today, you know, sometimes listening to sermons is just not fun. If you're young, sometimes it's a drudgery. But I hope that you can begin to see the Word of God or maybe once again see the Word of God for what it is, the Word of God. And then we get to hear it. We get to hear from God through the preached word. So maybe there's a couple of goals here. We want to first hear the word of God through preaching as an act of worship. Your sermon listening right now is a worship act. And I want you to, I want you to just beat that in, okay? This is an act of worship. This is not a utilitarian thing. I'm trying to get here, so I need to listen to sermons. No, this is us worshiping God. This is me preaching in worship to God. So we want to hear God's word preached as an act of worship, but also we want to become better hearers of the preached word. That's why we're doing this last week and this week. So today we're in 2 Timothy 4, Verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to go to verse 5, even though that's not really my focus. Timothy's ministry is not really my focus. We would spend time there if we were preaching through the book, and maybe we will one day. But I want to give you some background, some context, some setting. Why would Paul be writing two letters to Timothy? Because he led the church at Ephesus to appoint, to uh, install Timothy as an elder, as a pastor at this church. And Paul had a history with the people of Ephesus, and it's a history that is, I mean, it's, it's magnificent. It's wonderful. And I don't know if you realize it, but Paul gives us a snippet of how much the church at Ephesus meant to him, to where he would feel so, I guess, inclined to write letters to Timothy and make sure that he's doing a good job, make sure he's caring for the flock, make sure that he's preaching the word, as we're going to see today. 
Listen, listen to the way that Paul interacts with the leaders at Ephesus from Acts 20. Don't miss this, folks. This is some of the most wonderful, descriptive language of relationships in the church that can be found in Scripture. Acts 20, beginning in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that pastor, elder language. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have showed you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. Do you see three years of Paul's ministry is devoted to these people. And now he is, through the ministry of Timothy, ensuring that they continue to receive that faithful ministry. I want to remind you of something that, that Paul said about Timothy to the church at Corinth. And this was the way he did things. Paul prepared men for the pastoral office. He Put them in place, Timothy, Titus. We see this. We see in these letters. It's well known that, that 
Paul mentions about 40 names, people that traveled with him, that he discipled and prepared for ministry. And so what he says about Timothy to the Corinthians, I think is, it so captures Paul here. He loves these people enough to say, I urge you, be imitators of me. We, we often quote Paul and say, man, it's a big deal that he said this. You know, it's quite important. But do you see the next verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 16, and 17, if you want to look it up. I urge you, imitate me. And then he says, that is why I sent you Timothy. You imitate me, so here's Timothy. He knows everything I do. He knows how I live my life. This is what he says. I sent you Timothy. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Do you see? Imitate me by watching Timothy. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul has prepared Timothy for this mission of pastoring the church at Ephesus. He gives it over to him, communicates in these letters. And now in 2 Timothy, Paul is facing his impending death. And he reminds him of the most important things that Timothy must remember. He delivers a weighty charge. If you're familiar with 2 Timothy, you know in chapter 3, verse 16, he has just said, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So hear the word of the Lord for today, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray once more. Father, bless our efforts to understand your word. We delight in your word. And today, as we delight in your word, may we delight in Jesus. The word in human flesh, the word incarnate, the word that lived perfectly, died and rose again for our salvation. We pray in his name, amen. All right, so whenever I preach, whenever I'm trying to distill uh, the main idea, I give it to you in, in what I usually say theme, okay? So when you look at this passage, these few verses here, you can look in and you can probably find a central idea, a phrase that really captures what Uh, Paul is trying to say to Timothy, now it's up there on the screen, but if you just look at the text, I hope that you will land on the command, preach the word. Everything in these verses revolves around that command, that phrase. This command, preach the word, is to herald, to proclaim the word of God. And as we learned in Acts 20, it is the whole counsel of the word of God. So we may say from the text, our sermon in a sentence or our main idea or the theme 
the faithful pastor prioritizes the preaching of God's word as he fulfills his ministry. The faithful pastor prioritizes the preaching of God's word as he fulfills his ministry. On this note, and as it relates to you, you may think, well, well, I'm not a pastor, so I don't really need to listen to this sermon. Well, you're the, you're the listener. <laughs> so you see, you have a responsibility to hold me to a standard. Do you see? Here's what MacArthur has to say. Although directed, first of all, to Timothy, Paul's commission in this text applies to every minister of the gospel in every age, every place, every circumstance. In a broader way, it can be applied to every faithful believer because it is essential for every congregation to know and understand this charge. Churches are responsible, he says, under God and with God to hold their pastors accountable to these divine precepts. This is why it matters to you. This is me taking the main point of the sermon, the text, making it the main point of the sermon, and then applying it to your life today. So I want to give you a few, I guess, helpful points from this text on the priority of faithfully preaching the word. The priority of faithfully preaching the word or the faithful preaching warrants divine witness. It warrants divine witness. You see right there, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is so important that Paul would mention God even, as maybe it's better translated, even Christ Jesus saying, hey, I'm giving you his charge. Look at these witnesses. They're hearing me or they're seeing me write this to you. They know you're getting this message, so there's, there's no denying your responsibility here. He's saying this is how important this is, Timothy. I'm telling you in the presence of God. And let me remind you, Timothy, that everyone and every act will be subject to the judgment of Christ. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And now he mentions here, by his appearing and his kingdom. And I think this witness through these two words helps us safeguard the preached word. It sort of tethers preaching to the work that God is doing through Jesus to save all kinds of people and then establish his eternal kingdom. As I've referenced before, I've done a lot of fence building in my day. Uh, one thing that you have to do, and y'all be mindful as, if you, as you drive home today, maybe your neighbor, neighbors have got fences. Sometimes, especially, I don't want to point it out. I shouldn't point it out. You notice the fence down here at the gas station. If you ever pull in there to get gas, notice the fence that they replaced when, they, uh, when the storm came through. You'll know they did not do what I'm about to tell you. When you're building a fence... You put the rails up, and then you, you get your pickets, your six-foot pickets, if this is a wood privacy fence. And as you're going, you need to check the level against each picket or every couple of pickets. Because if you don't check the level, once you get all the way down the line, your pickets are going to end up like this. Note it, okay? When you see those fences, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you are not checking what you're doing, against what you want to see at the end, 
you will not end up where you want to be. This is basically what he says to Timothy right now. If we're headed for a kingdom, and if we're headed for a person, which is Jesus, then everything we must do must line up with that. So we get two sure tests here. First of all, Christ's appearing. I'm going to speed up, man. Christ's appearing. This is the first test. The Bible speaks of Christ appearing both in terms of his first coming and his return. So as sure as the Lord Jesus actually took on human flesh, lived sinlessly, died for sinners, rose again, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is coming again. The Bible tells us that every eye will see him. He will come physically, bodily, and come in great power and might. He will come to judge and finally save all that belong to him. He will save all the elect from the four corners of the earth, as Scripture says. So as the judge, all the work that's done in his name will be subject to his testing. So for the pastor, as we learned last week, that Hebrews 13 idea of giving account for the people that God has given me to shepherd, for the pastor, shepherding of souls will be accounted for. And then we see from this text, the preaching of the word will be accounted for. Side note here, we're having some issues with the AC unit back there. So y'all just be patient. Try to stay as cool as you can. This one's fighting to keep up, okay? The preaching of the word is top priority for the pastor. All preaching will be tested against the person of Christ. I want to be clear here. Christian, excuse me, preaching is not Christian preaching unless it is done in relation to the person of Christ, who is the word. Back in the day when I was being taught how to preach, there was a phrase that we would use sometimes to describe those sermons that really had nothing to do with Christ. They're called synagogue sermons. Call them synagogue sermons because an unbelieving, Christ-rejecting Jew could amen them. I bet if you, if you were able to sort of take inventory of all the sermons you've heard in your life, you would have a lot of synagogue sermons that were preached to you, and you might have said Amen even though it didn't show you Jesus. Look, I've been there. I've been there, and by the grace of God, it hits me like, wow, that was a wonderfully told story, or that was a wonderfully communicated message, but it wasn't Christian. One thing that delighted me this week, I was able to talk to Alan Singleton, on the phone, and, and they send their love, Alan and Patty. Uh, Patty continues to struggle in her health, but I was able to talk to Alan on the phone, and one of the things he said to me that delighted my soul, because we spent some time every single week in discipleship for the time that they were here. We baptized them, and then from the time that that uh, came to an end and they moved to Alabama, uh, we spent time almost every week in discipleship. One thing he said to me, he said, I continue to read my Bible every day. It's amazing as I read through and see more and more of Christ in the Old Testament. I'm like, oh, that's, that's maybe one of the best bits of news that a, that a pastor can hear. 
That's what we ought to be looking for. So a good, a good question, a good practice for you. After you hear a sermon, no matter who's preaching it, ask the question, has the preacher pointed me to Christ from the text? Has the preacher pointed me to Christ from the text? Charles Spurgeon is well known for this line, and it hits hard. He says to preachers, no Christ in your sermon, sir. Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. (laughs) I wish I'd have heard that a long time ago. It would save people from having to sit through a lot of garbage that came out. We see Christ appearing and then Christ's kingdom. I said I was going to speed up. Christ's kingdom. As sure as Christ's kingdom is being built up and will finally be revealed at his return, preaching the word is top priority. The charge relates all preaching to the coming kingdom. And this gets us to where the gospel brings about eternal results. You may recall in the book of Mark, Jesus often refers to the gospel as a gospel of the kingdom. And I think that we miss the connection between the two Often when we we speak of the gospel that saves souls, but we forget that it's a gospel that ensures a perfect coming kingdom. The full redemption of created order finds its source in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So another question you could ask, not only am I pointed to Christ, but have I heard the gospel clearly? The good news that Jesus came and died for me and arose again, and my salvation can only be found in him. So all preaching must pass the test of Christ appearing, but also the test of Christ's kingdom. All Christian preaching will be tested against the realities of the kingdom. All falsehoods will be exposed. And this is a fearful thing for a pastor. Because I imagine the number of sermons, the hours spent in preparation, the prayers offered, the listener's time, all given, that will dissolve under the perfection of Christ's kingdom. Stuff that was done in vain. The wood, hay, and stubble that burns up. The importance of the pastor's preaching ministry is further elevated here in the kingdom. The kingdom is certain, as Kent says, and is an incentive for the pastor's faithfulness for which he will be vindicated and rewarded. So, first, the priority of Faithful preaching warrants divine witness. Second, it calls for hard work. I mentioned fences, and I'm no stranger to hard labor. I don't work near as hard as my sister, I'll give you that. But uh, building fences, unloading trucks, loading planes, all these kinds of labor, I would tell you, do not compare in any way (laughs) to the labor involved in the ministry of the word. It's been studied, actually. I believe I recall John MacArthur talking about how uh, physically, the physical toll on a preacher after one sermon on Sunday morning is equivalent to an eight-hour workday. So you can understand, like, I need to rest when I get home. (laughs) Sunday afternoon is nap time, right? Because it's hard work. And that's just the preaching part of it. So he calls them to this hard work. Preach 
the word. And he says, in season and out of season. So there is an occasion. The first part of this, there is an occasion. You know, some cases, timing is everything. You know what that's like. A few weeks ago, my wife brought home some new books from a conference, and it was the wrong time. And so I was like, look, I just, right now, I just don't care. I want to hear about your books. This just ain't the time. You know what I'm talking about? You married folk know, you know what that's like. It's just not the right time. Paul says right here, you preach the word in season and out of season. So while some things need an opportune time, Paul says it's always an opportune time for the preached word. According to Kent, Homer Kent, God's word is always in season because sinners are always in season. The minister of the gospel must be ready with the truth to step in at a moment's notice and labor hard with the word. For this reason, listeners, church folk, there will be times when the word needs to speak to us and we are less than excited to hear it. In fact, because of our being bent towards sin, the word often rubs us the wrong way. So maybe it's not the time for books, but sometimes there is news that you don't want to hear, but you really need to hear. Like the AC is out. (laughs) I don't want to hear that, but hey, we got to get it fixed. So let me hear what I need to hear. And if we see the preached word in that way, we're always delighted to hear it. Well, it's going to hurt sometimes. It's not going to feel good sometimes. It's going to show me where I'm wrong. It's going to show me where to repent. But it is a delight. It's a delight to be subject to God's transforming word. So there's an occasion, and then we see there's an outgrowth. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. He says, reprove, these are commands, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Or you may read it with complete patience and careful instruction. One version says, there is an outgrowth. These are the tasks that undergird the preaching of the word. Subordinate commands, if you will. If you look back at verse 17, remember those scriptures, God breathed. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 17 of chapter 3. This brings the word to bear in the lives of the saints and it lacks nothing. Everything that God intends to do through the church, he does through the working of his word. These few words here describe the outworking or outgrowth of the preached word. So a faithful pastor to the preaching task will engage these things. First off, reprove. The word hits us right where we don't line up with Christ. That's what that means. It reproves us. And then it rebukes us. So the word, a very similar meaning, the word holds us personally responsible for our sin. We're able to see our sin the way God sees it. And that's when conviction comes. And then the goal in this is repentance. Those aren't pleasant things. When the word reproves and rebukes, but then there is an exhortation. It exhorts. So the one who's been reproved, rebuked, needs the comforting help of exhortation. The root of this word is paraclete, which is like the helper. 
Remember, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. So in the same way, when the preacher is preaching the word effectively, yeah, it hurts a little bit, but then you follow it up with the help that comes through the gospel. That kind of exhortation causes us to turn to the only means by which our sin is forgiven, the only hope by which we are made acceptable to God. These things, as he says, must be accompanied by patient perseverance and careful instruction. And honestly, I'm not even sure how to describe that. Because so many memories and experiences come to mind for me, pastorally speaking. Can I be maybe a bit transparent, possibly too transparent with this? Patient, perseverance, careful instruction. If you want to know where pastors struggle hard, it's in the continuous labor for growth in the saints and the endurance to not burn out. You know, a record number of pastors have left the ministry during the pandemic days for this very reason. Because dealing with conflict dealing with sin, dealing with polarizing public issues, dealing with everyone who all of a sudden is an expert on every single topic. If you've got Twitter, you're automatically an expert, apparently. That becomes frustrating. It's exhausting. And it's easier just to say, I'm done. Do something else. Do something else where I can punch the clock. I don't have to deal with this garbage. You realize that's, that's where a lot of pastors live. And even if the pastor can endure and give careful instruction to the saints along the way, here's what hurts the most they may end up just up and leaving. You know how hard it is to pour? This is not me complaining. I want you to know my heart. You know how hard it is to pour your life into people and always live with the fear that they may walk away. I talked with a brother just recently, 14 years at his church, four years as a member, 10 years as a pastor, one of his best friends comes to him and says, no, 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 rewind. He sends him an email. And he says, we're going to another church because we want to be somewhere where we can grow more. That sounds real noble, doesn't it? One of his best friends and he's not going to get any answers out of that. It's stuff like this that makes it difficult for pastors to persevere, to endure, and give careful instruction. Here's the beauty of it. In a pastor's labor, ultimately, 
It's not going to be whether people stick around that are the final test of things. It's going to be faithfulness to the calling God has given the pastor. We labor for the things that last forever. And I'm delighted to labor with you. I will pour in everything I got. And you know it. You've seen it. I think of some of the things that I've experienced as a pastor, even since being here. And if they were made into a movie, it wouldn't be fit for our children to watch. These are the circumstances that I have been called to administer God's word. And really, we're getting ahead. Number three, it often feels like an uphill battle. It often feels like an uphill battle. Paul explains here, Timothy, it's going to happen. You're faithful to preach the word. Here's what's coming. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It often feels like an uphill battle. Two reasons. First off, we have weak endurance. He says they will not endure sound teaching. This is literally uh, endure, hold themselves upright. It's to bear with, to withstand, to endure. And I know some of y'all are like, there's a lot of sermons of yours, Matt, that I've had to endure because it's so bad. You can guarantee my wife already told me, okay? My wife already told me. But see, what happens is because of our propensity to sin, because of our weak endurance for the things of God, the Word of God, it just doesn't scratch the itch. Oh, well, if he would just do a little more of this, maybe if he ran up and down the steps, oh, that would just get me, right? No, just pick whatever crazy idea we have about preaching that, that we want out of it. Ultimately, ultimately, what it comes down to, when we are weak to endure sound doctrine, it means that we are not satisfied with what God has said. And we seek immediate gratification. Let me pick on my own generation and younger for a second. Why is it that we can binge watch an entire series on Netflix in one day, but man, 40 minutes sermon? I don't need that. How is it that folk can watch the news for 15 straight hours, but they're going to complain when the preacher goes long? Oh, my goodness. Everything in us does not want to hear the word of God. Yet, the Holy Spirit causes us to submit ourselves to it once again. You show up every week because the Holy Spirit has convinced you, you need this. And we praise God for it. Somebody just said in their mind, he's starting to yell a lot. I like that. Oh, I'm sorry, we're running out of time. 
We have weak endurance. Secondly, wayward desires. And he really tracks the progression of the human will. Do you see right there? Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So that's like first level. Will turn away. So they just outright turn against the gospel, the word of God. Then thirdly, the, the final step, they wander off into myths. There's a progression. Do you see, Paul has already warned Timothy about this. Look up chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Don't become like these people, Timothy. Left and right, they're going to leave. They're going to walk away. (laughs) Be prepared for it. But you can't do it, Timothy. They accumulate these teachers. It's actually heaping up. One writer here, uh, Kent, he says, it may show itself in a succession of pastors. You know those churches that can't keep a pastor? That may indicate that they want preachers that are going to tell them what they want to hear. He says, Kent says, this is his words, not mine. At the least, it will produce people who he calls church tramps. Going from one church to another in search of something new. And in the worst cases, it's going to cause them to turn away, which is ultimately abandon the faith. So they accumulate these teachers. They turn away from the truth. They wander into myths. They embrace some falsehood, some myth. And I've watched this story played out over and over again in the lives of people that I love, dear friends who cannot endure the preached word and end up in a sea of sin and spiritual confusion. This is not new. Maybe, you, maybe you'll hear the word nowadays. It's mainly my generation and younger. Deconstructing their faith is just another way to say, hey, we're going to try to find teachers that we want to hear what they have to say We're going to turn away from what's true. We're going to wander off into myths. Paul predicted this when he wrote this letter. And Paul was no stranger to this. 2 Timothy 1. If you want to turn back, look at this verse here, writing to Timothy. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. All these people that were my traveling companions in Asia, all these people I was trying to disciple in the faith, all these people who are with me in Asia turned away from me. And then he names two, among whom Phygelus and Hermogenes. Those are not just names to Paul. Those are people that he loved. I want to encourage you, especially you young folks, it is the coolest thing, it seems like in our day, to sort of walk the way of the world and think you're doing something unique, ultimately to find yourself lost in confusion. I'm warning you, just like Paul warned Timothy here, cling to what you have been told as a child in the church among the saints. Cling to this truth or you will end up 
shipwrecking your faith like they did. But the word does its work. We'll conclude with this thought. Verse 5. As for you, be always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It's going to feel like an uphill battle, Timothy, but trust that the work that God does will happen exactly as, as he intends it if you just stick to preaching the word. Fulfill your ministry. So as we conclude, I told Kyle I'd end up just sort of preaching this like a normal sermon. I was trying to give you some handles to understand exposition. Here's what I'll say. If you walk through the outline, I want you to be able to find every single point and subpoint from the text. It's not just something I made up and wanted to say as I was preaching. I want you to see those points in the text of Scripture. The wonderful thing about Paul's writings is that he almost does a lot of the work for you, the way that he structures sentences, with commands, with subordinate statements. He gives you your points and your subpoints. I think the beauty of God's word is that it unfolds itself before our eyes so that there's no denying what is and is not the word of God. So as we conclude, back to sermon mode, maybe today... You need to confess your dependence on the word of God once again. Maybe you did not realize that this is real life where Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I've told the guys that that are involved in discipleship before, and I do this at home, I'm always asking, what are we having for our next meal? But I told them, I said, I said, you need the word of God more than you need your next meal. Do you live your life that way? Maybe there's some repentance that needs to happen. Maybe there's some restoration, some exhortation that needs to happen now. You've been reproved, rebuked by the word of God. Can I tell you that you're forgiven in Christ? Can I tell you that you will be filled up in every way with, as we prayed early, earlier, the fullness of God only through Christ. Confess, repent, be restored. Maybe you need to know Jesus for the very first time. Turn from your sin, believe on him, you will be saved. Father, we pray thanking you for your word, thanking you for the way it sustains us the way the Holy Spirit applies it week in and week out. The way we can day by day submit ourselves to it with the promise that we will look more like Jesus year after year, even moment after moment, even though we can't see it sometimes. Father, I pray that we could encourage one another as we engage the word together, that you would do what you will with Cedar View Baptist Church Make us a holy people. Make us a people that are instruments for your work here in Olive Branch and in every corner of the globe, Father. Bring your own name glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand now as we respond and sing.